All right, but that said, let's do our final installment of Second Peter. I'm really excited to round this out, and I want to open with these incredible verses that come at the top of this chapter that we cannot forget. We have to, we have to read everything we read, and we have to see everything in Scripture, honestly, through these first few verses. Because in 2 Peter 1, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We sang about that first song. The promises of God, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of your sinful desire. For this very reason, the title of our series, Make Every Effort to Supplement Your Faith. I love in, in the New, New Living Translation, it says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So my first point is this, our new life, this life he's given us, this life we live as followers of Jesus is a response to God's promises that is so important to remind us. That's one of the things that comes up throughout this book of 2 Peter is Peter says, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you. Why? Because we forget. Some of you sitting here right now need to be reminded of the things I am about to tell you because you knew them once and you forgot. I knew them once and I forgot. We forget. We need to be reminded. It's why it's so important to gather around the scriptures regularly as a community every Sunday and every day. We must be in the scriptures. Why? Because we forget. And even if we remember what it says, it does not inform our life because it doesn't have a fresh and vital expression. Our new life is a response to God's promises. I have to say that for all of us, including me, because we will forget we will forget and we will think, I've got to do something in order to please him so that he's happy with me. I've got to make sure that I, 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 I earn it. I've got to make sure that I make good on what I'm supposed to do. Otherwise, I'm going to get the stick. This is what many of us can drift back into thinking. And actually, he has given us this gift free for the taking of life in Jesus Christ. Now, let's get on to the passage that uh, we're studying today, and that's just up at the top. That, 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 those three verses just hover over all of this. It's for that very reason we continue to give ourselves to the good work of following Jesus. It is work. It is work. It is not works, as some of you may know the terminology. We must not earn what he's given us, but we must give ourselves in response to his promises. We must make every effort to supplement our faith. So Peter goes on down at the end of uh, the second chapter in verse 16, and he says this to them. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." Peter's saying, this was my experience. I saw this. I experienced this. I want to not only tell it to you, I want to remind it to you, and I want to give you the gravity of it. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. What's he talking about? He's talking about the scripture. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But he is extolling the virtues of the Holy Scripture. Because it wasn't just some guy with an idea. It was actually the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit speaking to us. But before we jump into that, my second point is that Jesus was the greatest promise. We're talking about the promises of God. You know, the promises of God are so great. There are so many promises in the scripture, just in the Old Testament alone. Do you know that there are promises that say he will uphold you, he will protect you, he will provide for you, he will not leave you, he will order your steps. These are the things that the Bible promises. You go, well, that's, yeah, but life can be hard. It's like, no, 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 but those are the promises that we cling to in the midst of not feeling like those are the things that God is doing. And of all the promises he made, there was no promise greater than that he will send his son. We've got we've to decide if we believe that actually. Because people make stuff up. People just make stuff up. There's so many people and things that will tell you what is true and how to live. And he says, no, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Why is he saying that? Well, one of the big purposes of this, and Pat talked about this last week, this whole letter is because false teachers have come in among them and started to tell them a whole host of things that are not correct. Now, he's getting to that. He gets to it in chapter two, and I'm gonna read a little bit about that, but it's so important because we live in an age of false teachers. We live in an age of cleverly devised myths. You might think, well, what are the myths? I was literally just looking at something this morning on the news, talking about people who, and I'm not gonna get into them, (laughs) but these myths around the political situation and the figures, and there are so many myths out there, it is unbelievable. But, But actually, it's not just those myths. It's every other story other than Jesus is the only way that are cleverly devised to make you think otherwise. He says, no, 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 we did not follow cleverly devised myths. And he's going to get to what it is that these people who are among them are doing that is so harmful. But let's go back to what is he talking about? He goes, we were eyewitnesses on the holy mountain. What's he talking about? We got to go back there. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek out of Mark because Mark is such a powerful book. And it says in Mark 9, verses 1 through 4, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Very mysterious thing to say. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? He's talking to his disciples and he says that. Then it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, the writer, James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. This is what Peter's referring to when he tells that little story. Hey guys, by the way, I just want to remind you of the story you must have already heard 
I'm sure this is a second, third, maybe hundredth telling of the story, but he's saying, listen, we were eyewitnesses. Whatever those people around you are saying actually is not true if it goes against that Jesus was the greatest promise, that Jesus is who we say he is. The witnesses to his life were proof of that. I'll read it again. Verses 16 to 18, he says, we, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is what Peter experienced. And he's saying, trust me. Trust me. It's true. I don't know what they're telling you. I've heard some of the things they're telling you, but it's not true. What's amazing about that too is that, so this, this is what happens. In the beginning of the next chapter, he talks about what these false teachers are saying. And, and he's got a sense of it. Obviously, he's been hearing He's been hearing what's going on with them. He says, but there were also false prophets in Israel. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. (laughs) sounds familiar doesn't it we're 2,000 years later and we see this very thing to be entirely true and he's saying actually let me tell you what is true is that he came and he was exactly who he said he was that is the thing that we must cling to that is the promise we must hold more than any other promise Once we let go of that, we start to waver. I don't know, is he, am I saved? I don't know. So many Christians are walking around in circles, kicking the dirt, because we've let go of this one fundamental fact, which is that Jesus is and was the greatest promise. The way Peter writes this letter is to establish firmly in important truths to combat the lies that are swirling around them with these false teachers. But the grace and truth of this intro means he's not just going right after the problem. He starts with these great truths and then he says, and now let me get to this issue of these false teachers. This is so important. Peter finishes this little passage by saying this, and this is another thing that is so massive. He says, because of that experience on the mountain, we have an even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. He's talking about the Bible. The Bible foretold everything that he experienced and is describing. He said, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. This is in the New Living Translation. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. What's he talking about there? You must be in the word of God. This is the prophecy that didn't just come because somebody made it up. These are the inspired words of the Holy Spirit that you must pay close attention to. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 
It was foretold thousands of years ago. I experienced it on the mountain. I love how he's almost saying, look, I experienced on the mountain, but it's always been here. The truth of what God was going to do and did has always been with us. It was foretold by these prophetic scriptures. So be careful not to go start to follow other stories. See, we were designed to believe supernatural stories. We were. It was put into our wiring to worship God and to look for the transcendent truth outside of just the natural that we see. We were wired for that. So if we don't put our faith in Jesus and believe that, we will just believe something else. Our wiring will just push us toward a cleverly devised myth. And those myths are so clever. So some of the like political myths, I don't think those are very clever. Those are silly. But the cleverly devised myths are more insidious. They're the ones that are harder for us to go, well, that's clearly not true because of Jesus. I had a friend call me um, on, on Friday, actually. And uh, I hadn't heard from this guy in 10 years. And I don't even know him very well. And so he just wanted to, you know, kind of open the conversation. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? He said, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, what? You're a pastor? I used to be a filmmaker. That's actually why he was calling me. And he goes, then I have to tell you the story. And he starts to tell me the story of how he witnessed to a man on a ship in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And the whole ship began to believe and want to hear the story of what he was talking about. This guy, my friend, was Jewish. He was raised Jewish, but he converted to Christianity. And he heard that I was a pastor, and he said, I am telling this story to anyone who will listen. And he's crying as he's talking about witnessing to this guy who hated him. And everybody else on the ship was like, what is going on with these guys? And he just was celebrating what God had done. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I said, but what can I do for you? I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I couldn't believe when his phone, his name came up on my caller ID. He said, I want to make a movie about my life. <laughs> now, it's funny. Um, I've actually done this <laughs> before. I've actually made little movies, feature-length movies about people's lives. I was a documentary filmmaker for the most part. And so it's not crazy that he would call me. And so I said, well, what's your story? And he tells me his story. And then he wraps it up and he said, so the moral of the story is, if you work hard, it doesn't matter where you came from. I was living in my car at age 16, but actually this country and hard work got me to where I am. And I was like, I feel like you just told me a different story. Don't you mean that it's God and only him and because of his grace and favor upon your life? And he goes, oh yeah, 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 that's true. And then he flipped around and he gave me a different pitch for the movie. Okay, let's take it from the religious angle. I'm like, this is not a religious angle. <laughs> this is the only story that matters. What you just told me is one of the most cleverly devised myths. And I love this country and I love hard work. Both have virtues. But this country has flaws. Pause. Whew. And hard work will not get you everywhere because I've seen people work super hard yes. and get nowhere. So that can't explain it. That is a cleverly devised myth, my friend. And he goes, no, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just told me that whole story of this powerful moment in your life and it had nothing to do with hard work or America. 
<laughs> Sorry. Great country. Whatever. It just has nothing to do with the most powerful story that is not just good, it's true. So Peter points to the scripture as a reminder, pay careful attention. Keep reading that because you need to keep reminding yourself that it's not hard work in the country and all this other stuff that seems to be the myth that we want to follow. This is it. One of the worst things these false teachers did was not only cast doubt on, on the person of Jesus, on the appearance of Jesus, on the transfiguration of Jesus, but also on his return. Isn't that interesting? Why did these false teachers do that? Because it is so important to the believer. A false teacher wants to get at the deepest things and unravel them. Wants to get the most important aspects of our faith. Wants to get at the greatest promise that we have. And it's really that he's coming back. He's coming back. That very promise is lodged deep in the soul of the believer. Of all the promises, and there are many, that is the most important because it is tied to the salvation and eternal life of every single person who puts their faith in him. So we must live in light of his final promise. That's the greatest promise. And Peter got a glimpse of the evidence of it. And Peter says it's true on the basis of his own experience, but it's also true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Don't take my word for it. It's been in the scriptures for thousands of years, and it happened. The prophetic word of God that foretold the Messiah so interesting here. He quotes the false teachers again. And he says, in 2 Peter 3, this is as he gets toward the end of the book. And as we said before, Peter's actually old. He, he feels the end of his life coming. He says that up in the previous verses. He feels like he is going to be leaving. And so he's charging with everything he's got. And the final things that he wants to say is, he's coming back. And he says, the problem is, the false teachers are saying this, 2 Peter 3, 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, the old guys died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know what? Same old stuff, different day. So really, do we really have something to look forward to? I don't think so, guys. Live for now. Live for now, because this is all you got. He's not coming. There's nothing happening. Don't look out there. This is it. And he's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is so fundamental to your faith that it will not only be the one for every reason, because he says, actually, you've been given, uh, you, you partake in the divine nature for this very reason. Go and supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with kindness, and all those things. So that is motivation for us. But there's also motivation to the fact that he's coming back. He's coming back. And that's what Peter wants them to know. He's given you this gift. Go for it. He's coming back. Go for it. Live in light of his return. I've been reading a commentary on this very book by a guy named James Shaddix. He's a professor of theology at the New Orleans Theological Seminary. And he says, the importance of remembering the certainty of the second coming of Jesus Christ can't be overstated. 
This doctrine is a key component of the gospel and one of the primary motivations for godly living. Christ's rule and return, including his final judgment of all people, truly is one of those very great and precious promises from verse 4. That's foundational to the Christian calling, he says. Do you live in light of his return? He goes on in chapter 3 to say this. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, reading from the New Living Translation. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flame. This is not just hyperbole and fantastical stories. He's speaking the truth. He's been speaking the truth. He will continue speaking the truth. And this is true. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. What a picture. What a picture. Can you imagine a world filled with God's righteousness? Instead of a world filled with filth. I don't hate life. I don't hate this world. But it is full of filth. This is a picture of a world filled with God's righteousness. The older I get and the closer I become to Jesus, the more I think about his return. As I navigate the things of daily life, more and more, I just will cast my mind to the fact that he's coming back. That is such good news. That is such good news. I had a friend who used to say, you should always be planning a vacation. Life is better when you're planning a vacation. I love that. She's like, because if like, you're having a tough day, you can just be like, in six weeks, I'll be on the beach. In a month from now, I'll, I'll be in Europe. Always be planning a vacation, she would say. You can cast your mind there when things get tough. I think this is one of the most important places we can cast our minds. He's coming back. He's coming back. All of this will literally be burned. He's going to set the heavens on fire and it will all be destroyed and God's righteousness will fill the earth. Oh, how about that for a break in the middle of the day? Do we cast our eye and our minds toward that? He is coming back. We will find permanent relief. There will be no more pain. That same author who had that quote I just read, I was fumbling around the book and I got to the beginning of it. And actually there's a dedication like there is in every book. And, and James Shaddix's dedication was this. It just blew me away. It wasn't even the thing I'm supposed to be looking at. But it just said this, to dad and mom who taught me to long for our Lord's coming and to let that longing inform the way I live. I was like, holy cow, is that what I'm teaching my kids? So good. Let that longing inform the way I live. 
We live in light of his return. We live in light of this longing, not just because he came, but because he's coming back. We will forget that if we don't pay careful attention to the scriptures. We will forget that because everything else is vying for our attention. You know what's amazing to me is Peter didn't have the New Testament, right? Peter was writing the New Testament unbeknownst to him. He didn't have it. So he didn't have his book as part of the New Testament. That's why he's saying like, I'm writing you this stuff so you've got something to cling to. It's like, Peter, we got you, man. We're gonna keep that book forever. We're gonna keep your letter along with others. What's also amazing is he didn't have Revelation. I was reading Revelation in my devotional on Thursday. I'm just reading it on Thursday morning and I got to the end. My devotional on Thursday was Revelation 22. Do you know the thing that is repeated three times in Revelation 22? I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. So the end of Peter's letter, 2 Peter 3, says the day of the Lord is coming. Doesn't want us to forget. The very end of easily, arguably, the most important book in all of human history says this at the very end. I'm coming soon. Can I read it? He says, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There it is. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Can't get around that. Peter talks about it too. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And I love how he ends. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. He is coming soon. You say, well, it's been a while. That was not meant to give us a timeline. It's meant to have us live with urgency because it's imminent. It could be noon, 44 minutes from now. It could be. Have you been living in light of that? It could be. The New Testament church was sure he was coming back. They say Paul was sure he was coming back in his lifetime. That did not happen. And yet he lived as if it were true. He's coming back. You can set your watch by it. He will return. You can count on it. That is very good news. That is very good news. That is very, pause, that is very good news for those of us who believe, actually. For those of us who have not bowed our knee and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that is very, very, very bad news. This greatest promise promise turns into the worst news you could have. Because actually, Jesus, by the free gift of grace, has called us to be in relationship to God forever. And he's given us the opportunity to lay hold of that. But if you say, no, I don't want to, or even I'm not sure, and he comes, well, there is something very sober about that moment. That is not something you want to cast your mind to over and over again. It's something that you fear greatly. And it is the love of God that brings us to turn to him. But I also do not want to cut short the truth of the fact that he says he will bring his recompense to repay everyone 
for what he has done. Meaning, if we are not protected under the blood of Jesus Christ, if we have not given our hearts and minds and souls and lives over to him, then we are on our own. I feel like God has brought some people here today as I've been praying for this, preparing for this, that you need to hear that. And you came in feeling like, I don't know where I'm going in my life and I have been making a mess of my life. And your sin and the things you've done wrong to yourself and other people have caught up with you. And actually God wants to meet you right now in this moment so that that I'm coming soon turns, out, turns from the worst news of your life to the best news of your life. He wants to take all of the filth and muck and gunk on your life and clean you as white as snow. That's what the Bible says. You who have been sinning, who have maybe you haven't been here for decades and you've come back reluctantly and angry and, and, and who knows what else. He can, he can take all of that. He's not gonna turn you away if you just open your hands and receive the free gift of grace that he has given. But if you don't, that eternity is actually guaranteed. We don't say that too much anymore in church. Too much hellfire and brimstone, but I will not spare us the truth of God's word that it may move us toward his love He wants to call us his children. And to those of us who do believe in him, who do follow him, can I I charge you? Stop at nothing. Do not be easily daunted. Don't back down. Make every effort. Push ahead with strength and vigor, Monument Church knowing that you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. We're so inclined to work so hard for earthly rewards, aren't we? To add pleasures and comforts to our lives. But the rewards of life are not what it's about. Will we work hard because we know that the greatest reward is already ours? Can I just ask if you're here this morning and you feel that God is just speaking to you, especially because he's calling you to avoid an eternal future away from him. If that feels like God is speaking to me, can you just raise your hand just boldly? Is that you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's worth applauding for because God is getting hold of people that he dearly loves. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. We're gonna, we're gonna come to a close here and we're gonna just worship that wonderful song that Josh and others have written. He's coming soon. Man, that is what we celebrate. That is where we cast our minds.